Hello, 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 and welcome to Capital Musings, your NCDF podcast where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor in the least developed countries. I'm Eduardo Tanchoni, your host, and you can find Capital Musings on your preferred streaming platform or on our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. So this month is very special as we celebrate Women's History Month. And I couldn't be more excited today to be joined by a fellow sister UN entity, which we really deliver results with on the ground for women by women with women. So today I have the pleasure of having Angela Mwai, Chief Human Rights and Social Inclusion Unit at UN Habitat. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So, Angela, please tell us. Three words that best describe your life journey thus far and what they mean to you. Oh, thank you, Eduardo. My first word that I would like to give is about learning, the word learn. Because it's very important that people, and especially women, learn from other people, learn from other people's experiences and other people's issues. And I'll give you an example Then, when I worked in the financial institutions, by listening to customers who come in every day, I began to learn how their businesses work, what their challenges were, and what their biggest gaps, that they were not able to identify themselves, but from talking, I learned from them. So learning is very important. The second word is patience. Learning to listen to people, learning to gather from what they're saying, and most importantly, what they're not saying. And this is very important, even when you're dealing with communities, you have to listen carefully to read in between the lines and to understand nuances. And the third one is taking chances. That's two words, but I'll take it. Taking chances. I think it's important to take chances, especially on women. I'll give you examples later, but in my work in the financial institution, women came and they had nothing, but they had a fantastic idea. And many a times I would listen, look at their track record, listen to them and listen to what their needs were and take a chance on them and lend them money. Another aspect of taking chances is to do something that you're stretching yourself. I left corporate banking to join the UN and I joined gender work literally by chance. And I'm going to tell you more about that when the time comes. Thank you. Those are my three words. Thanks so much, Angela. I really liked your second one around patience and the importance of listening to the people that we serve and their silences and why there may be silences that might not be speaking up. So I think it's really important. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now let's Dive deeper into your passion for urban development and cities. How did it come about? I joined the UN in 2007 in a program where knowledge of banking was required. I'll let you know I was a banker for 21 years, having worked straight from university up the ranks until I was a manager. And when the UN were looking for a person with banking knowledge, I was curious and I said, why would they want to know about banking? But this was a program that was in a partnership with UN Habitat and a private banking sector. And I saw the opportunity of leveraging communities and women's savings to reduce the perceived risk by banks, because commercial banks are looking at the bottom line. And in order for them to lend to groups of people without collateral, they needed some sort of comfort. And this is where the UN came with some grant making mechanism where they were able to put money aside and against it, the bank would lend until the confidence was built. I realized that there was a power of resources within communities, even low-income communities who you refer to as the urban core. And I saw that 
financial literacy was so important to open doors and to make endless opportunities for women, for regular households, for communities to get their housing and human settlements upgrades, for them to do local economic development, for them to build schools and marketplaces, really by gathering their resources together, going to the bank with an idea, and then borrowing against the grant that the UN gave. This was so inspiring for me, and I thought urban development is what it is all about. It's about taking the resources that are available, leveraging them, and making them work. Communities, and in particular, women. I'm particularly interested in women and children. So this is my way of working, and this is how I started with it. The gender portfolio fell on my laps by chance. So there's an element of chance as well in my career. Having been a banker and working on projects that had been financed through partnerships with the UN and commercial finance, private institutions, I then got an opportunity to work on gender specifically. So I brought that knowledge that I had from the commercial banking, and then now look at it from a particularly specific gender lens so that you're looking and seeing how can you promote the lives of women to make them financially independent and start with literacy. And I think this is where my knowledge of banking came in so importantly. I do remember also when I was in the bank, many women who wanted to start businesses, but they had no collateral. They probably didn't have support from their spouses or family. And they would come and say, what can I do? What can I do to do this? How do you teach a person who has never run an overdraft what an overdraft means? And how for me sitting in the bank, I would know they are making money because they bring money on a regular basis. But once I told them that if you bank every day and you still take out the money to buy your new stock, that's the only way I get to know that you have money coming in on a daily basis. If you receive money from your business and you just continue buying stock, when I'm sitting in the bank, I will never know how you're doing, how well or how badly you are doing. And so it was important for me to bring that knowledge that I had so far to come and bring it to a development perspective. Local communities have powerful financial capability given the chance. They just need to have it organized and put together in a package that they can be able to manage. Bite sizes and not a large looming loan in their head. And they can do incremental developments. And I think this is what the communities needed to understand. Super interesting, Angela. I think you touched upon very different layers about urban development and what that means. The importance around leveraging resources and making them work for the people that we serve. And the fact that on the ground, local communities do have powerful financial capabilities, but they just need the development, the building or the support to properly leverage them sustainably. And I think the UN Habitat, so together with the rest of your family, is doing that and it's helping out in this sphere. So talking about that, can you share with us a bit more about what UN Habitat does for our listeners who may not know UN Habitat necessarily? UN Habitat is the agency that is responsible for sustainable urban development. We are the custodians of SDG number 11, which is to do with cities. And I think it's very important that the linkages between cities communities, it's important to know who you're working for. So in cities, who lives there? It's a mixture of host communities, it's migrants, it's women, it's children, it's older persons, it's people with disabilities, it's people who are in business, it's private sector, it's government. So we look at all those partners put together and try to work out projects that are helpful to the lower income communities that live in our cities, 
We try to provide urban basic services. We do local economic development. We do a lot of spatial planning. UN Habitat is actually particularly strong on spatial planning, urban planning in cities. And we work on climate change too. So maybe I'd like to focus a little bit on climate change and have a number of initiatives in UN Habitat. For one, we have one called the Cities and Climate Change Initiative, which assists cities in emerging and developing countries in addressing climate change challenge. I think climate change is on the top of the list of priorities, including those for the Secretary General. This initiative assists cities in responding to the negative effects of climate change that are already being felt all over the world. UN Habitat collaborates with international bodies and other UN sister agencies and their networks to influence policy and action and to promote the role of cities and human settlements in migration and adaptation through a strategy that prioritizes the most vulnerable, the constituency we've been talking about, the low-income settlements and the urban poor, to achieve a higher quality of life in an urbanizing world. So to do this, we host every two years a forum called the World Urban Forum. And in this year, it is to be in Poland, in Katowice. And the World Urban Forum provides an important opportunity to advance with our partners and stakeholders on the key linkages between climate change and disaster risk and the new urban agenda, which was adopted in Quito in 2016, and the various programs that UN Habitat implements to improve living conditions in human settlements around the world. And then the UN Habitat uses access to knowledge and expertise through a community of practice. This community of practice aims to improve communication across the teams in-house, share knowledge, and raise awareness by establishing a network of individuals, experts, practitioners, and leaders, both within and outside the organization, or who are interested in learning about the tools, some best practices shared between us, and the broader issues on climate change and how they affect communities, women, children, youth, older persons, and people with disabilities. This community of practice achieves this by building on UN Habitat's work on age, gender, disability, and safety to resolve urban challenges and achieve safe, inclusive, and sustainable communities by involving these very people. Nonetheless, despite UN Habitat's contribution to climate change solutions, there are very many barriers that disproportionately affect women and girls' participation. And I think this is the theme of the Commission on the Status of Women this year, the women and girls' participation in climate action. And some of these challenges include limited transportation networks, limited access to clean and affordable energy, and particularly electricity in low-income settlements, health issues caused by insufficient clean energy sources, such as wood-burning stoves, indeed limited access to education and information, and economic opportunities. And these fall disproportionately on women. What we promote is issues to do with street cleaning, maintenance of safe public spaces and parks, common public lighting, or safe movement up and down when people are doing business and especially women. And when urban resources are scarce or overburdened, the basic productivity of all citizens is jeopardized. And of course, it's the marginalized people who are further left behind. The same women, children, older persons, people with disabilities, they are the ones who suffer the worst. And I think this is what UN Habitat strives to do, to really have all these stakeholders represented in every sphere, every project, every policy, 
every program that UN Habitat does. Thank you, Angela. I think it's a very nice picture of the work, the life-changing work that you carry out on the ground and the importance of doing that towards sustainable urban development and what that actually entails and the importance of involving all of the different stakeholders that have a say and have a role to play in making life in urban settlements working and sustainably. Let's talk about governments. They definitely have an important role to play in addressing some of the challenges that you've mentioned. But what about localities and municipalities? Do you think that they're equipped to take on this challenge? Well, while climate change is a global issue, it's also a very local issue. And localities and municipalities, all cities and towns, play an important role in mitigating the challenges in climate action and in as much more as they affect women and girls. When women and girls are included from participation at lower levels of governance, they are more likely to be impacted by the consequences of the climate inaction. For example, while fewer women hold decision-making positions, they continue to constitute the majority of citizens who are primarily victims of and survivors of floods, earthquakes, forest fires, and tsunamis, to name a few. Localities and municipalities, on the other hand, can mitigate these disparities by ensuring that policies and programs prioritize the most marginalized. For example, ensuring that a gender-representative quota system gives women and girls and young people a good seat at the table and a voice to speak on what their particular needs are. They are not the same, but they are similar, and therefore there needs to be a consideration for every group of stakeholders. Another strategy that we use is to make social inclusion dimensions visible in all our activities. For example, in UN Habitat, we employ what we call the environmental and social safeguard systems. And now we are on version two, which ensures that planning and programming of all projects are responsive to environmental and social inclusion needs. We employ what we call the markers. And when a project is approached, given to the review committee to examine, we review it from a gender lens, an older person's lens, children's lens, make sure that all the constituencies' needs have been covered. Women and gender disparities must also be viewed as heterogeneous and cross-cutting issues. Various challenges compound and exacerbate gender discrimination as a result of intersectionality. For example, access to and control over household resources, such as land, money, and stock, can influence the use of sustainable products which can have an impact on climate adaptation and mitigation. Okay, so given this challenge that you raised and the role that localities and municipalities may play and the relation between climate and gender that is so rampant right now and something that we really need to bridge in whatever solution we put forward, what do you think are possible solutions that all of us as development practitioners may want to focus on to build back better and leave no woman and youth behind? You will agree with me that COVID-19 pandemic disrupted every aspect of life for all levels of society. People of different ages and genders and occupations were affected, but in different ways. So to avoid exacerbating intergenerational inequalities and to participate in building societal resilience, governments, both national and local, and other organizers and other organizations, civil society, they must anticipate the impact 
of mitigation and recovery measures across different ages and gender groups by implementing effective designs, inclusive and fair recovery measures that do not leave women and youth behind. The following factors perhaps could be considered. For one, apply a gender youth older persons lens in crisis response and recovery measures across the public administration. Measures should be put in place to know that communities are mixed and then mitigation should be provided for all levels of ability and disability. Second, perhaps modernize strategies for women, youth, and older persons and people with disabilities in collaboration with stakeholders to translate political commitment into actionable programs and projects. No more lip service. Get down to the ground and actually create programs and projects that really include everybody and really have political commitment to see them through. We know that regimes come and go, but communities remain, and therefore we have to put communities first. We would also suggest collaboration with national statistical offices and research institutions to collect disaggregated data, evidence-based on the pandemic's impact by intersectionality in order to track inequalities and inform decision-making at all levels of sustainable development. So we are looking at political, economic, and social development. There's a need to promote age and gender diversity in public consultations and institutions. Women need to be on boards. Women need to be on decision-making panels and committees so that the needs and concerns of different ages and genders can be reflected in decision-making. Leveraging young people's current mobilization and mitigating the crisis through existing mechanisms, tools, and social media platforms. Get the young people to use what they are good at, digital tools and data, in order to build resilience in societies against future shocks and disasters. COVID-19 came in 2019. Who knows what will come in the future? We have to be ready for mitigation of every kind. And finally, develop targeted policies and services for the most vulnerable young population who are not in employment who are at risk of getting into bad company and becoming menaces to the society. Training for young migrants, the homeless youth, young women and men, adolescents, and children who are at a higher risk of gender-based violence and climate change effects. Thanks so much, Angela. I think you've touched upon many elements, the lenses through which we need to apply and we need to develop solutions that work sustainably for the people we serve. You know, call to action that the Secretary General, as you mentioned, in his, our common agenda, having more participation of youth, so making sure that we have this uh, international solidarity that is back there and uh, puts, uh, using your words, communities first, so that the work that we do does not come and go, but rather is embedded within the structure of those settlements as well as those localities that we working. Any last words that you'd like to share with our audience, Angela? Yes, I would want to come back to the earlier point about financial literacy. People and particularly women in their groups have a lot of power in their hands that they are not aware of. And I think with UN Habitat and UNCDF and other agencies that are involved in creating projects and programs for promoting 
the development of housing or infrastructure or building schools and markets for people and particularly women. I think it's very important to have elements and put budget aside and invest in financial literacy because when people don't understand what their resources can do for them, think that they can't achieve, and then they never grow. Putting resources together to communities and then putting that to the financial institutions and giving the financial institution confidence to lend and to advance funds for certain projects, common infrastructure projects or common market projects or common school projects, something that would be able to benefit the community the basic thing is financial literacy. Once they understand, then they begin to think big and to think to how they can improve not only their small little home, but the community out there, the common park that's there, the schools, the roads, the, the water supply, the waste management. This is where we need to invest so that people understand that their savings, one, two, three, four, five people come together, that money can enable them to do projects that they could not have done if they had remained in their own small space. And so financial literacy is so important because it opens doors. I know that there are many institutions that talk about it, but I think we really need to be serious about financial literacy and showing the capability of communities to be able to do projects that will improve your lives in the longer term. Thanks so much, Angela. Indeed, investing in what matters, investing in financial literacy to open doors and to promote resilience for the people we serve. Thank you for sharing such detailed initiatives of, you know, your habitat, as well as the work that you do with sister UN entities. At UNCDF, we're really proud to be partnering with UN Habitat on developing practical solutions and financial solutions that work for you know, women, that adapt to climate change and work for the open poor sustainably in the long term. So thank you, Angela, and thank you to our audience for tuning in to Capital Musings, the podcast where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor, this time in particular for the urban poor and through gender transformative and climate smart solutions. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter with the hashtag Capital Musings or leave us a review. Reviews help us and new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. Thanks and until next time. <laughs>